Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Peter's writing to the church, to believers, and he's referencing after last week, the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting into the coming of the day of, the, the day of God, we'll talk about that in a second, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, believers, church, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, therefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him, found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. Remember, Paul said, the goodness of God leads a man to repentance. The patience of God leads a man to repentance. And Peter acknowledges Paul's writings. I like the next part. And as also in all his apostles, speaking to them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Peter's talking about Paul. If you don't catch this, Paul has written his letters. Paul is a little, um, let's say, Paul is an intelligent man who writes in intelligible ways that some of us feeble-minded folks have a difficult time understanding. And many of us like to say that we're a lot like Peter. We got big mouths and talk a lot. We're also like Peter, if we're honest, and say, we don't understand Paul's writing sometimes. And Peter says he wrote some things that are hard to understand. Doesn't mean to shut your to close the Bible and not read them. He wrote some things that are hard to understand, which they that are unlearned, there's the key, and unstable, rest or twist as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. I'll probably forget to say this in a second when I get wound up, but just because we don't understand something doesn't mean we twist it to make it say what we want it to say because that leads us to destruction. And that's what many do. Many false teachers in Peter's day and many false teachers today take a difficult task or text and twist it to be a little more palatable and in doing so they're teaching false doctrine and leads themselves and other people to destruction. Ye therefore, you believers, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But instead of doing that, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Pray today that you open our hearts and minds to, 
to your truth. I pray, knowing this text, that people that are in this room, people that are listening to this message, people that are watching maybe online, that they would, that are not born again, that they know they don't have a relationship with you, today they would see the need to make preparation for the day of the Lord. I pray for believers that we will be motivated to serve you through the realization, because of the realization that the day of the Lord is at hand, it's gonna happen, and that we should be ready. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. As we continue and conclude this Lessons for the Last Days thought, last week we looked at the, the delay of the Lord. What's taking him so long? Why is he waiting? And we learned that the patience of God, the long-suffering of God leads a man, a woman, to repentance. And while we're in this waiting stage of the day of the Lord, today is the day of salvation. It's an invitation to be born again, to be prepared. But today, I want us to look at specifically the anticipation of the day of the Lord. I use that word intentionally because many of us, born again believers, we should be, and if we're not, we should be encouraged to be anticipating the day of the Lord. The word anticipate speaks of to anticipate something or anticipation means that you make preparation, you make a decision based on something you know is gonna happen. We do that a lot in our lives. But there's one anticipatory event that we need to be sure, Peter said make your calling and election sure, we need to be sure that we're ready for the day of the Lord. If you've been absent or sleeping the last couple weeks, let's remind ourselves that the day of the Lord will be an event like no other event in history. This day of the Lord is mentioned oftentimes in the Old Testament. Uh, Israel faced the day of the Lord, and it, um, it usually is the signification of the ending of something and the beginning of something else. Transformative. Israel was taken into Babylonian captivity. They were promised by God, if you do this, I'll take care of you, but if you turn against me, it's not gonna be good. And he gave them decades and decades and decades because he's patient and he's long-suffering and he wants them to turn to him. And I wanna remind us all today that he's given us decades and decades and hundreds of years in anticipation for his return because he wants none to perish but all to come to repentance, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. But that day of the Lord is just a, it's not just, it's a, it's a day that's really a, a beginning period of time. It's an era when we see even again today in this passage what that day is gonna be like. But it's a day that we're to be ready for. As believers, we are anticipating in a different way than an unbeliever anticipates the day of the Lord. So I wanna get, get to the text and just look at two, two different subjects, preparations 
and motivations as we anticipate the day of the Lord. First of all, in verse number 10, I want you to look at verse number 10 again. There's a, there's a sermon in verse 10 that I'm going to try to preach in seven minutes. The day of the Lord demands preparation. As I say often, every person that comes into a church or into a, a setting Sunday after Sunday or a, whenever you come, if the gospel is preached, there is always a response. Every pastor needs to be reminded of that. It helps us out. There was always a response. And today, every day that a man or a woman or a boy or a girl makes a decision that Jesus is Lord of their life or that he is not Lord of their life, every day a decision is being made. Every day preparation has been made or is being made for the reality of the day of the Lord. But in verse number 10, we see really three I'm going to make them brief realities about the day of the Lord. The third is the longest of them, if you're preparing for when you might nap in this sermon. The question is, why do we prepare? Why should a person prepare for this day of the Lord that's been promised for so long that's not yet happened? This is the, the most simple, shortest point I could ever make. You ready for it? You might miss it if you don't pay attention. The day of the Lord is definite. Not because Baptists have been saying it for years and years and years. Not because in our articles of faith, according to the Baptist faith and message, that we acknowledge that the day of the Lord will take place. The simple reality is that the day of the Lord is definite because God said it would happen. Amen. The word of God says the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come. I said this a few times. If you haven't heard it, hear it now. I believe there's a, a trap, a strategy, a trick, uh, to use the King James word, uh, a while of the devil to get Baptists, to get Christians talking about, arguing about, in smoke-filled rooms with coffee, talking and, and vain babbling about when, how, before, after, mid, post, all this stuff. And if we're not careful, and I think there's healthy conversation to be had there, but if we're not careful, we'll completely neglect the reality that Jesus is going to return, and so we should be preaching, we should be teaching, prepare, he's going to return. The day of the Lord is going to happen. World, the day of the Lord is going to happen, and you need to prepare. John the Baptist, when he was preaching, he was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Jesus was about to show up, and you better be ready when he shows up. And today we preach, the kingdom of God is at hand. The day of the Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming, and when he shows up, world, you better be ready. You better make preparation. Jesus taught that the day of the Lord would take place. Peter's teaching it here. The day of the Lord is happening. Matthew chapter 24, he talks about the day of the Lord. He taught to his disciples and to, to those around, prepare for the day of the Lord. 
Paul, in his confusing writings, comes along, and in 1 Thessalonians, gives a, a very clear definition of the day of the Lord. All through the New Testament, the epistles, the, um, the apostles' writing, they taught the day of the Lord shall come. I don't know of any other versions of the Bible that don't say. So no matter which one you have in your hand, he's coming. The day of the Lord is definite. And then in verse 10, we see a, a brief description of the day of the Lord, which I think is sometimes intriguing. So we see this description, this um, illustration of what the day of the Lord shall be like. And it's, um, it's challenging at best because there's a lot of conversations that happened after this. But Jesus said it, Peter says it, Paul said it, that the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. Now, I have fun stories about the thief in the night. I have fun preparations in my mind about what the thief in the night looks like at my house. And if you don't have a plan of attack, we'll meet in the fellowship hall afterwards and I'll give you some outlines of things you should be ready for and ways you can be ready. Guy's crazy, I don't know. No, we just ought to be prepared. Some of you rednecks are prepared for whatever room you happen to be in when it happens. <laughs> You've got a plan of attack. I had a I got a friend of mine that's in Lynchburg and his grandfather passed away. And like a lot of our grandfathers, they, they thought their money was safer in in the wall and in mattresses than they did in the bank. And in their later life, when things got expensive, they were struggling, you know, not, you know, they were struggling. And his wife got a little irritated after he died because as they were cleaning out stuff, they found thousands and thousands of dollars hidden in the house. She's like, we were struggling to pay for prescriptions and this guy had $5,000 in one closet. <laughs> Some of you... Men, when you die, your spouse is going to find guns hidden all over your house. <laughs> I didn't know he had a gun right there. I walk by it every day. The day of the Lord is described as a thief in the night, and there's a, a decent amount to be talked about here, but of course, Jesus referred to it. The reality is it will be unexpected. And there's a lot that I could say about it. But I think it only points to the reality and the necessity of being ready. Lost person, unsaved, never been born again, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to have time to get ready once it happens. Now, there are people that may preach a false teaching to give you a false security that it'll be all right, you'll have an opportunity. But I believe there's ample amount of scripture, including this little indication here, to say it's too late when he shows up. So you're to be prepared because he's coming like a thief in the night. Jesus goes on to say, hey, if the thief would have told you the night he was coming and the time, you would have made preparations. 
In the same way, because you don't know the time, you don't know the day, you don't know the hour, be ready regardless. He's going to show up when we're not expecting it. In verse 24 of Matthew 24, Jesus said, after alluding to all this, he talks about the days of Noah, just as Peter is talking about, as in the days of Noah, are people are going to be acting crazy. That's, that's, that's the, um, the southern version. It says people are going to be acting crazy, acting like they ain't got their, no mind. They lost their mind. People are going to be doing their crazy things. As in the days of Noah, think about it. Jesus refers to the days of Noah. Peter refers to the days of Noah. He makes the comparison of as in the days of Noah where the earth was completely destroyed by water. There is coming a day of the Lord where the earth will be completely destroyed by fire. And there's a lot of similarities there that people will be doing their own thing, living. There's this guy building a boat and they're laughing at him. He's preaching, get in the boat, get in the boat. When the boat's ready, get in the boat. It's going to rain. It's going to, and now there's a bunch of Preachers on a platform behind a pulpit every Sunday, building a boat, saying, get ready, get in. It's about to rain fire. You got to be ready. You got to get in Jesus or you're not going to be safe. And people are laughing. People are saying it's never rained before. There's never been a total earthly destruction with fire before. What are you talking about, preacher? That guy must be an idiot. He went to school six years and got degrees to say that. This is what's happening Sunday after Sunday all over the world. People are rejecting the truth because they've never seen it before. They can't believe it. My Bible is very clear that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those people had to have faith in Noah's message. And a person has to have faith in the message that's being preached today. That the day of Lord is coming, it's going to be sudden. And I've often heard preachers preach in red writings where people say, can you imagine what it was like when the first raindrops fell in the days of Noah? And that door shut. Now, I don't think, personally, it makes a good fairy tale story. I don't think it started dripping. But if it did, could you imagine what was going through their minds For 120 years, that guy preached that it was going to rain, and the earth would be destroyed, and we laughed at him. We made fun of his family when they got on, and the door shut. We made jokes about them being in the ark, all alone, with all those stinky animals. Can you imagine how their thoughts changed the minute the first drop fell? And it was too late. Door was shut. Jesus preached that as in the days of Noah, door shut once the fire falls. Can you imagine what this crazy world's gonna be like the minute it's too late? He goes on to not just describe and talk about the definitive nature of the day of the Lord, but in verse 10 at the The end, he says, the day of the Lord will be devastating. It's something like we've never seen before. And the closest example is the flood, which is why Peter and Jesus both compare it to the flood. And it's important to understand this reality of the flood to understand the devastation 
of the, the fire that will fall that we see in verse 10 that we looked at in the last few verses last week. This is total destruction, total devastation. As in the days of Noah, the flood fell. It was universal according to Scripture, and I believe according to geography. And it affected the entire earth, and it annihilated, that's a good word because it's actually in the Greek, it annihilated everything that was that God had created. And Peter says here in verse 10, after this thief in the night, and it shall come, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The word there, noise, is more than just noise. It's a, a great noise. The Greek there is, it's a whistling or crackling sound. As simple as hearing a fire crack, crackle when it's burning the wood. It's whistling noise. It's crazy. I've done, I got spare time, so I've been doing a little research. It's only been two atomic bombs dropped that we know of in history. And um, we're responsible for that. And, and um, Japan suffered immensely because of it. There's a lot of, lot of documents been written about uh, people that lived through that. Obviously not in direct line of it, but they talked about how when the atom, atom bomb, the atomic bomb, and, and just the, the nature of it, which is something like we've never experienced before, and hopefully we never do, that's a good opportunity to get off track and start walking down this dirty, rocky path right now, right? Nuclear war. Our leader's asleep. Literally and figuratively. Don't think about that too much. You won't sleep well tonight. It, can you imagine falling asleep in an interview? I've seen people fall asleep in church like a baby. I saw people fall asleep in Sunday school this morning. I watched it, and um, I wasn't teaching. I got to see it from behind this time. It's a, better, it's a better look to see them doing it from behind than right in your face. But you're being interviewed, and in mid-sentence, you fall asleep. That's some, that's some good sleeping. That's a, and he has no guilty conscience, obviously, because he can sleep. And my mom always said you had a guilty conscience. That's why you couldn't sleep. Great noise, hissing, whistling, hissing. And some of the eyewitness accounts talk about this atomic bomb when it exploded, that it's so powerful you don't hear anything instantly. But miles away, once it reaches you, there's this whistling sound. Why are you bringing up atomic bombs? Well, that's the word whistle. But most people with a good brain believe in, in an atomic-like cataclysmic explosion because Earth is made up of a ton of atoms, and you scientists understand that. And it gets into the text here in a second of how this will happen. It's total devastation. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The sky, not, not God's new heaven and new earth, but the heavens. When he created the heavens, the stars, the planets, and all that's up there, it will pass away with a great noise. Can you imagine all of the stars and all the planets and the moons and all the other fun stuff up there that we don't know about when it just explodes, is annihilated, 
Might make a hissing noise. I don't know. It's going to make a noise. And then he says, the heavens the, shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements, that's a good word. You, any scientists in here? The elements will pass away. The elements shall melt away with fervent heat. Let's discuss the, the periodic table for a second. <laughs> just kidding. The what? They don't even teach that in science anymore. We don't need it. We can just Google it, but that's different. I don't know. They might. Don't, don't take that. Don't write that down. They may teach it. I hope they do. Some of you are like, periodic table. That sounds vaguely familiar from 64 years ago. <laughs> elements. This is a similar word to elements, like the chart that we had to memorize back in the day. Can you believe we memorized that? And we use it every day. Well, that smells of argon. You know. right. I do say pass me the NACL often. The sodium chloride. Pass me the sodium chloride for my fries. NACL. Okay. He might really be a scientist. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. What is, what is God saying? The word elements... It's, it's like the, the four fundamental elements of earth. Y'all with me? Science on a Sunday morning? I believe God is the creator of science. Fire, water, air, and land, earth, and all that's, the four major elements. He says the elements shall melt with fervent heat. That word elements in the Greek, it comes from what we would think, the, the foundationals. It means the word order. Oh, that, this is great creation. Great creationism stuff. In 2 Peter 3, where did that come from? That all of God's elements, the foundation of his creation will be annihilated. Even in 2 Peter 3, God is confirming through Peter that God is creator of all that is. In the beginning, God. No creation of God, but after that, in the beginning, God created everything. Something out of nothing. In the Hebrew, ex nihilo. God created matter. God created elements. Kids. Romans, countrymen, listen, wind, wind, you're having these conversations and they say that a pond got struck by lightning. Please ask the question, where did the pond come from? Please ask the question, where did lightning come from? When they say a frog turned into, say stop, please tell me where the frog came from. When the single-celled organism, when the amoeba, we love amoebas, when they say the amoeba stop, say where did the amoeba, amoeba come from? And where did those, oh, mitochondria come from? Oh, I just gotta leave now. Where, where did they come? God created all elements. Everything that is, God created it. There is no other rational explanation. There is no rational explanation in evolution for how matter was created. It didn't just show up. There has to be a creator. And God says through Peter's writing that all of his creation, the basic elements, the word there is 
rudiments, like rudimentary. All of the basic elements will dissolve, will melt like fire with fervent heat. The earth and all the works therein. Simple as I know how to say. Everything that's ever been created and everything that we created from the created creation will be gone. Now, that's a picture, it's a picture of the judgment of God. It's a picture of the nature of God, that God can't have anything to do with sin. There's a lot of that there. But this is the day of the Lord. This is when he shows up and a new era begins. All things will be changed. It will come. It will be sudden. And when it happens, everything will be destroyed. So the unbeliever should be prepared. It will happen. Just as men and women and families were encouraged to get in the ark for the only, only available safety. Y'all following this? God's brilliant. There was only one way to escape the flood. And there's only one way to escape the day of judgment and the day of the Lord. And Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the only way to salvation. No man comes to the Father except through him. I imagine in the days of Noah, some other people tried to save themselves, but to no avail. Because there's only one way, and it's God's way. And it may seem as silly as a big wooden boat, or it may seem as silly to the world as a perfect man who was born of a virgin, who never sinned, who died and was buried, but rose the third day. How silly of a story, world, to believe that. But he's the only way to be saved from the wrath of the day of the Lord. Are you prepared? It will come. And it'll come suddenly when you least expect it. No person should leave this church today unprepared. Number two, which is the rest of the chapter. Y'all ready? Not only preparation, but motivation. The day of the Lord delivers motivation. Motivation for who? As verse 10 promotes preparation for the unbeliever, the rest of the chapter should promote motivation for the believer. And here we go. Motivation to live. How should we live? Verse 11, Peter says, seeing all these things, what are all these things? Definitely verse 10, but all the verses before of what's going to transpire. Church, that's us now. Y'all can wake up. I'm talking to you. Church, believer, Christian, born again and know it. He says, wake up and listen. Seeing that all this is going to happen, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation to God? That's not a question, by the way. It's almost like a parent when he asks a question, but they're really telling you something. And they, then the ch- child starts to answer and say, you don't have to answer. That wasn't a question. Kind of that. He's saying, knowing all this, this is how we should live. And here's where the conviction comes in. Y'all ready? This is how we ought to live. Knowing that the day of the Lord is coming, he says that we should Live, we should be in holy conversation. Oh, 
Altar call now, quick. Anytime you see conversation, almost every time in the New Testament you see conversation, he's talking about lifestyle, how you live, your life. We should live holy lives. Holy is not holy like God is holy, although we're to be holy as God is holy. The word there is to be separated, to be consecrated. We're to live lives separated from the world. Oh, let's give some examples. No, we're to live differently than the world. Knowing that this is gonna happen, church, you're to be living differently. Holy conversation, separated living, consecrated living. James on Wednesday night, really the foundation of James is discussing, teaching, worldly living versus godly living. The world responds like this, the godly respond like this. The world may say this, but we say this. Perspective, the world looks at the day of the Lord like this, but we look at it like this, and this is where he's headed. Holy conversation and godliness, if we, if we just skim over that, we miss the whole very fundamental truth of how Peter is saying, through God's inspiration, we should, should live in light of the reality of the day of the Lord, we should live differently, we should live separated, and godly doesn't mean that we dress up in robes or walk around as pious, holier than thou's. It means that we live, it, the word there is the word that we get pious from, or piety. It's um, right worship. That's what it comes from. Godliness, right worship. Can you worship wrongly? That's a different sermon, but it's right worship. What does that mean? When we come to church for an hour and a half that we worship rightly. No, it's not what it means. Matter of fact, uh, a better definition would be to take Sunday worship out of it. It's how you worship every day. Right worship, pious living. It means that, and this is, hopefully this is not new information, we as believers don't just worship God on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and sometimes on Wednesdays. We worship God every day. Our life is a lifestyle of worship. So what God says through Peter's writing is as we know the day of the Lord is headed here, it's imminent. We should be walking right. We should be living differently than the world, knowing that he's gonna return at any time and that every day should be a lifestyle of worship. And everything you do, whether in word or deed, Paul said, do it to God's glory. For years, we've heard preaching, and I've even said, you know, you ought to, you shouldn't go to church on Sunday and then live, live differently on Monday. Well, that's pretty obvious. But it's also obvious that a lot of people do that. And if we're honest, it's obvious they're not believers. But that's mean and judgmental, so we don't say that. So take that back. Court recorder, take that off. The reality is, um, well, I'm not. If we acted tomorrow like we acted today in church, you wouldn't have many friends. I've watched people. I got it from my mom. She was a people watcher. It wasn't healthy. She just made ugly faces when she watched people. I try not to make the faces. I try to be stiff-faced. Some of you do it too. You go to places just to watch people, right? Oh, if I sit right here, I'll see a lot of people. I'm just gonna sit right here on this bench. I'll be here for two hours and just watch. 
when we go to work, when we go to school. And this is easy to preach, I know. And hard to live. We're to be worshiping him in our lifestyle. On the baseball field, on the basketball court, football field, cheerleading on the sidelines, feeling every other sport there is, every other club there is, a believer ought to be worshiping God in their lifestyle. Why? Preacher preached about that on Sunday. No, because Jesus is coming back the day of the Lord's hand. And when he comes, we, he won't, we want him to find us faithful. And this is what God said, this is how we ought to live. Not only should we be holy in conversation or in our living and godly, he also, and I love this, and I hope this is encouraging to you, verse 14, he says, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for these things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. We break this little sentence down, this verse down to you. We be, may be found of him in peace. One day, we will stand before Jesus. I'm not talking about in judgment. This is gonna be encouraging. Get ready for encouragement. One day, we will meet Jesus. And Peter says, be diligent. That's the same word he used earlier in chapter one, where he says, given all diligence to add all these things to your faith, to your life. It means to do everything you can, make every effort. That's the word diligent, make every effort. So he says, make every effort that you may be found in him, found of him in peace. How are we found of Jesus? When we meet him. We're gonna meet Jesus. And believer, when we meet him, his desire is that we are found of him in peace. There's, a, there's an hour preaching just if I just wanted to start talking about peace and the peace that we ought to have. Peace not as the world gives, the peace that only comes in Jesus. Peace that when we have it, enables us to live a different life than the world. Because we don't respond the same way. Yeah, it stinks that the Republican red wave didn't deluge the earth. I haven't heard them put it that way yet, but that sounds good. Yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah, it's disappointing that the two North Carolina senators don't know who they are. Thank God one's on the way out. But they both just voted for this messed up marriage bill. Tom Phyllis and Richard Burr. It's Tillis, I know. But because I don't like him, I call him Tillis. If I saw him tomorrow, I'd say, Mr. Tillis, how are you? And he'd say, it's Tillis. I'd say, I know, but I don't like you. <laughs> I've met him. I got my picture made with him. whoop he do He's a liar. He's a hypocrite. Says he's a conservative. Not all of them, just most of them. But he's a hypocrite. He said he believes this way, but he goes and acts this way. And this marriage deal is a messed up, just messed up, Joe Biden doesn't know what he's doing, ball of mess. Senators just vote on it, and the North Carolina senators, yeah, that's disappointing. Get that point across. But I have peace. And thank God they don't make all the decisions that alter my life every day. So I can have peace, because my peace is not in them and their lying abilities. My peace is in Jesus Christ. 
and one day I'll stand before him and be found of him in peace. And that's what he desires, to be found of him in peace, peace with God. How can we have peace with God when we're born in enmity with God? We're born at war with God. We're born in sin and separated from him, but he wants us to have peace and be in him of peace. Paul talks about that, this Paul that Peter talked about so negatively. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the desire of God, that when we meet him, we're found of him, by him, at peace, in peace. In church, lost person, there's only one place to find true peace, and it's in Christ. And that's the only way we don't lose our ever-loving minds in a world that's everything but peace. But he wants us also to be without spot and blameless. Oh my goodness. What if we don't have time to take a shower? That was silly. You shouldn't have said that. It just ruined the whole message. No, without spot and blemish, without sin. Perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. None of you are perfect. Some of you are more unperfect than others. Right? But he wants us to be found in peace, of peace, and without spot and blemish. But all of us have spots. And all of us have blemishes because there's none righteous, no, not one, and we're all sinners. So how can we do that? Good question. Because Paul wants us, God wants us, Peter wants us to be before Christ without blemish. How can we stand before God, before Jesus, spotless? There's only one that's ever been spotless. There's only one that's ever been without sin. And that one, Paul said, in a verse I love to quote, Paul said, he who knew no sin became sin for us. For you, for me, for whoever puts their faith and trust in him, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Sin was hanging on the cross. Jesus became the embodiment of the sins of the world and the sins of the world were crucified, killed on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for me. That if I place my faith and trust in him, I take on his righteousness. Even though there's none righteous, no, not one, I, because at 10 years old, I accepted Christ and I took on his righteousness and because of that, one day, I can stand before him without spot, without blemish because he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's his desire. And one day, the day of the Lord will take place. We're gonna stand before him. And a believer ought to take heart in the encouragement that you can stand before Jesus Blameless, spotless, righteous, holy, in peace. There's motivation to live right. There's motivation for us to look. If you didn't like that point, I think you might like this one. Here we go. Looking and hasting for the coming of the day of God. We're to be looking and hasting. We're longing for, hasting is this word to mean eagerly desiring that something will happen. Every kid in here right now is eagerly desiring that something will happen. 
Next month, around the 25th. Because we know it's on the calendar. By the way, quick 30-second TV timeout. Ready? Christmas is on the Lord's Day this year. And just as a friendly reminder, we only have Christmas because of Jesus. And we meet on the Lord's Day because of Jesus. And we actually meet on Sunday because of Jesus' resurrection. And there is no Christianity, there is no hope, there is no life, there is no peace, there is no sinless, there is no blameless, there is no righteousness apart from Jesus' resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. So if there's a prime opportunity for us to come to God's house and worship the righteous one, it would be on December 25th this year, Christmas. That was, for, that was 40 seconds, I had to pay extra for that one. We're gonna have church, this is gonna shock some people, we're gonna have church on Jesus' birthday. We're gonna have a birthday party, we're gonna have a cake. Is he serious now? No, no cake unless you bring it and we'll eat it. Be here, please. Now, we, what we are doing, because our pastors are nice, um, I threw out the idea of having pajama Sunday. <laughs> I did not, just in case you're wondering. When I walk into a school and I see pajamas, I almost kick lockers. I'm like, well, we got pajamas in school. You can't learn in pajamas, but that's the, we're not gonna wear pajamas to church. But if you happen to show up in them, we'll see what happens. No, don't. Don't take that. But we're not going to have Sunday school, so you can stay home and hang out for a while, but come to church on, on Jesus Day, on Christmas Day, please. Okay? 10.30, we'll be here. It'll be fun. Bring your family. Bring your new toys. Ride your scooter in. I don't care. Park it out front. We'll get a bike rack for scooters. We're motivated to look. The word hasty means to eagerly desire something will happen. Church, God wants us to be eagerly desiring his return, the day of the Lord. Jesus taught us to pray, and he said, in the teaching us to pray, thy kingdom come. We're to be looking, we're to be hasty, we're to be longing for something that we know is gonna happen, just like every kid is longing for that day and all the fun that goes along with it. And to be honest, a lot of us adults, we're longing for it too, Christmas and the day of the Lord. We're to be longing for it. We're to be looking for it. We're to be hasting to it. But I want you to notice something really quickly because there's a little sermonette in here that he changes from the day of the Lord to the day of God. Did you miss that? It's in there. Day of God. It, it's, um, I'm trying to make this super quick and elementary. It's a little different than the day of the Lord, but it speaks of the permanent nature of it. This is an eternal kingdom. When this happens, things change. When the day of God takes place, the day of man is over. Things change. Unrighteousness will be destroyed before righteousness can reign. We're to be eagerly desiring. We look for, verse 13, nevertheless, that word's important because he just gave some pretty bad news to unbelievers. The earth's gonna be dissolved and melted and everything that's in it Nevertheless, we believers, we look for the day of the Lord. We long for the day of the Lord. We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwells righteousness. 
Seems like it ought to be another sermon, but I'm trying to finish this book. And I don't like to mess up people's theology. I surely don't like to mess up people's eschatology. So I'm not going to do that. But I think we all ought to be on the same page as this. The day of the Lord will happen. Jesus will return. There will be a new day. All that exists in creation and everything created by man with God's creation will be destroyed. There will be a new earth for a new heaven and a new earth to be established. As in the same way that God cannot be in the presence of unrighteousness, his new heaven and his new earth will be purged of unrighteousness where only righteousness will dwell. And we have to stop and think, imagine, if we can, what a, a new earth where only righteousness dwells must be like. Anybody want to just sit and just, let's just sit and think about that for a second. And what we do when we think about that is thinking of what won't be there anymore. Only righteousness. No sin. There'll be no sorrows there. No more burdens to bear, right? No more sickness. No pain. No more partying over there. Because all of those things are a result of sin. They're a direct result of sin. And forever will be with the one who died for me. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. We as believers ought to be motivated to look for that day. And by the way, when we look for that day and we're excited about that day like we got there for about 14 seconds, it overshadows all the depression and the anxiety and the mully grubs that we experience here. Paul talked about that. He said, the things ahead are far greater than this garbage we're living in now. So we just keep on keeping on. And when elections are lost, we keep on keeping on. We realize Jesus is still king. He's still sovereign. He's in control. And we turn on our news and we see another murder. We see another killing. We see another this, another that. Uh, we sorrow and we pray and we hurt. But above all, we know there's peace that surpasses all human understanding. So we are motivated to look, we're motivated to live, and then he concludes the same way he started in chapter one, where he should be motivated to learn. Learn what? Learn about Jesus. In verse 16, I, there's so much there I gotta skip through. In verse 15, he talks about the long suffering, the patience of the Lord, and salvation. In verse 16, he says that P, uh, Paul was hard to understand. Doesn't mean not to stop. Doesn't mean... Just turn the page. It means to study it, study it, study it. Ask God to show you what it means through the Holy Spirit. He says, because a lot of these difficult passages, this is important, we can't miss this. I'd feel bad if I missed it. They're hard to understand. It doesn't mean to avoid them. It means to study them because why? He says, the unlearned, those who don't study, they don't know what it means, they twist it 
and destroy themselves. And they destroy others, the false teachers that he's been talking about. Spurgeon said this, any rope will do for a man to hang himself with, and any doctrine will suffice for a man to ruin himself with if he wishes to do so. Oh, and you think of how many churches, how many pastors, how many believers have been ruined by believing something that just isn't true because it just didn't sound like I wanted to preach that. First thing that comes to my mind, the priority is only one way to heaven. And I think of the false teachers and the false religions today that are trying to suffice everybody, make them feel good by a loving God and a gracious God and a merciful God to let anybody into his heaven. And it's just not true. And it leads to destruction. Verse 17, he says, therefore, beloved, believer, that's us, y'all ready? Because you know these things, seeing you know these things, beware, beware, be on guard, be alert, that you're not led away with error, the error of the wicked, and fall from your own steadfastness, this stability that's found in Christ, this stability that's found in the word of God, the truth of God's word. Church, he's coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. It is imminent. Let's not fall asleep. Let's not be asleep behind the wheel. I said fall asleep and somebody picked their head up just now. I gotta quit looking around. Let's not be asleep at the wheel. Really. He says be alert, be awake, be aware. Because you can, you can just rock yourself to sleep in the church pew. Everything's all right. Been going along fine. Haven't been committing too many sins lately. I'm good. And he says you can be led astray from the wicked and fall from your own stability. Listen, church, it happens every week. There's some other person that you can't find with the FBI. They're not going to the church across town. They're going to Bedside Baptist. And then they do it for two years. And we call them backslidden. But they once were stable. How does this happen? How does a deacon that was a deacon for 20 years in a Baptist church, you can't find them with the church FBI? That happens? Yeah, it happens. You can call names right now. You know people that are like that. What happened? They fell away from their once thought stability. They got led astray by something. Talking to somebody just Wednesday night. There's a man that went to church here for a long, long time and he's been to other churches. He'll go anywhere. I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. Think you got to go to church to be a Christian? Think you should. But as one wise theologian said, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you got to go to church to be a good Christian. I think church is one of the most priority telltale signs of someone that's cold on God or lost. Amen. Seeing you know these things, he gives a warning. How do we combat that? How do we combat that we don't fall into that category? Verse 18. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. We should be motivated to learn Learn about Jesus, more, more about Jesus is what the song saying. Learn of me. Jesus said this, I love this text, and uh, some of you know it, as I got a gift a few weeks ago or a couple months ago that related to this. Jesus said, uh, learn of me. How do you learn of me? You, you ever heard Jesus say, learn of me? It's in the text. It's right in the same text where he says, 
um, come you weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you, right? And we like to sing Hallmark songs about what that means, and it's not what that means. What it says is get yoked up with Jesus, get side by side with Jesus, because when you're side by side with Jesus, you learn a lot about him. And he says, take my yoke upon me, my burden is, is light. Come and learn of me. We learn of him when we're side by side with Jesus, when we're yoked up with him. Listen, when they're laughing at him, they're laughing at me. When they're laughing at me, they're laughing at him. When they're ridiculing me, they're ridiculing him. When they're denying me, they're denying him, and vice versa. We learn about him. Hey, when we're walking beside him and you get all upset because they called you a bad name, and he looks over and says, don't worry, they hated me first. Oh, I'm so upset, Jesus. Do you, you see them walk? Through? Hey, they did the same thing to me. And then we just keep on complaining to Jesus. And he finally said, hey, they killed me. Shut up. <laughs> we learn of him. We walk with him. We study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In these last days, we ought to be motivated to grow closer and closer and closer to him. And what happens? What happens in verse 18? Peter ends with a doxology. Everybody loves a doxology, right? Praise God from When we are doing what he's called us to do, he is praised. He is glorified. You want to throw up verse 18 there so we can get out of here? We've got time. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Church, that means believer, Unbeliever, the day of the Lord's coming. It will happen. Are you prepared? Believer, he's coming. Are we ready? Are we growing closer every day? When we grow closer to him, he is honored. Here's what, here's what I know. Here's how the text goes in reverse. When we get close to him and we grow in grace and knowledge, then we, it promotes godly living. It promotes holiness. And when we are living holy, consecrated, separated, godly lives of worship, he receives the glory. That's the praise he deserves. Would you stand with me? The invitation's real simple. This would be a good catchy title, you ready or not. Are you prepared? I just put a two and a half hour sermon into 50 minutes, so I hope I didn't leave anything out. But if you're here today, and I want you paying attention, please. If you're lost, and you don't even know what lost means, that means you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you've never trusted in him and him alone for your salvation, made him Lord of your life. What I just read, what I just preached, is as sure as I'm standing here according to the word of God. And it will be too late to make a decision. Just as in the days of Noah, I didn't make that comparison, Jesus made that comparison. It will be too late. And it will happen in a day and an hour, Jesus said, when you least expect it, the Lord will return. You believe it could happen today? Absolutely, why not? Well, I've been reading and following this guy on YouTube, and he says, hey, I'm telling you this. I trust God far greater than any idiot on YouTube. And he says, be ready, because it could happen. Like a thief in the night. 
unexpected. Are you ready? Have you made preparation in your heart? Have you gotten into the ark of Jesus for your salvation and your security? If not, you can do that today. Call on him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Paul said. That means call on him and acknowledge that he is the Savior. He is who the Word of God said he is. He lived the way the Bible said he did. He died, he rose, and he lives forevermore. You put your faith and trust in him as the only way of salvation, and that means you're born again, and you're on your way to heaven, and now you're prepared for this last day. But believer, just getting our ticket to heaven is not all God wanted us to do. He wants us to grow. He wants us to worship him in our lives every day, live differently so that he gets glory. We live in a messed up world. Have y'all figured that out yet? And I'm gonna preach to myself here for a second. We can't be part of the problem. We've gotta be part of the solution and the solution is not running for politics necessarily. The solution is living a godly consecrated life where we love everybody we give grace the way God gave grace. We give mercy the way God gives mercy. See how I'm preaching to myself? And the world sees it and says they're living differently. They must be living like God lives. We do that when we grow close to him. That's God's plan. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.